We're going to be in Matthew also. Uh, we know that there are little ones in here, and that is fantastic and great. We are a family-oriented church, and so there's going to be crying and shouting and talking, and I completely understand all of that, not a disruption, distraction. However, if you feel like you want to stretch your legs or stretch their legs, there is the room downstairs in which uh, the video will be playing of the gathering. So there is an option for you, but just know that they are more than welcome to be in here with us at this time for the next 20 minutes, which I've already wasted a minute and a half. Wow, Britain, thanks, man. You got that started early. You're going to get these people on their way to their Christmas Eve this evening, I can tell. I haven't had dinner either, so, you know, it's okay. Well, if you want to, um, as you have Matthew open, that's, that's great, and be in chapter 2 this evening. If you want to read a really nice Christmas story this evening, Uh, to your family, I would suggest opening Luke's story. Uh, Luke's account of the retelling of the birth of Jesus really only has one major dramatic moment that doesn't go well, and that's with Zechariah, and he doesn't believe the word of the Lord when he's in the temple, and it's uh, caused him to become a mute, and some people might be like, well, that's just fantastic, right, in that old age. But the rest of that gospel in Luke's account is filled with singing and faithful responses to what is being spoken to the people. And so I absolutely love Luke's recording of the story of the birth of Jesus, Yet you get to Matthew, and it's almost like the dark Hollywood side of the gospel story of the birth of Jesus. The B-sides, the one that gets released as a dark parody to what Luke was talking about, but it gives much further detail into what's gone on since the birth of Jesus. Now, I'm going to shatter some of your views right now of your nativities, If you have a nativity out and your wise men are in the nativity, they should probably be an extra couple miles away or more. For they don't come until later on after Jesus is born. And there's some time passed when you pair those stories together. And when they come, they come and talk to Herod the king who was very much concerned with his kingdom that he was ruling over under Augustus. He had this Judean rule that he was proud of and had in control, and he was well-liked by many, but not by all. And as we'll see, he has a very dark character in this story, a dark king. And what Matthew does for us is he's basically saying Christmas comes with conflict, or Jesus comes with conflict. Let's look at chapter 2 in Matthew, verse 13. When they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentations. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no what a beginning to their married life. You have Mary and Joseph. Mary has this birth announcement from the angel Gabriel that is spoken to her and she receives and responds to it in a positive way. And then sometime later, after telling her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, that she is with child, he then thinks, I I don't know if I should be with you or not, because either the story you're telling me makes you an absolute crazy, wacko kind of person, or you've done something terribly wrong that is terminating our marriage and validates it, and we shouldn't be together. And this angel appears to him and He responds in a positive way, and you would see that the story begins to smooth out, except for it doesn't. According to a census that gets called in on everyone living in the land, they have to go to his homeland in Bethlehem, and Mary is very pregnant at this time. Pregnant, ready to give birth to child, they make this trek, and as we sing and we know the story, they have no place in whatever the inn would be of that time. And out in a stable there, Jesus is born. And then he goes through the time of eight days and circumcision and the 40 days of purification rites. And at some point, they end back up in Bethlehem. And as they're in Bethlehem and in this region, they get word, they get word that Herod wants Jesus's life. You think your first two years of marriage have been rough? Think about their first two years of marriage. They said, yes, we welcome this child into our life. And all of a sudden there is conflict. And as we look at the story that God has been telling us from Genesis on, we see that conflict has always existed, whether in that spiritual conflict of the war between God and Satan or humans rebelling against this great, kind, gracious God, there has been a war established that we want to do life on our terms, our way, and we have no place for you in our lives, God, because we don't think you're very good. And as we look at this story this evening, you're faced with having to consider Jesus and who is he. And when we read it and we pair it with Luke, we see that he is the lowborn king for each and every person. In fact, all kinds of people are invited into the story of God. It's not an isolated event for a certain people group that just they themselves get to be the select group that will someday get to be with Jesus. It was an invitation as you look at the characters that make up the story to Mary and Joseph, yes, but also to shepherds who were considered outcasts of that day, foreign magi from other lands who had traveled to see this King Jesus. Even Herod, Herod would hear that the king has been born. 
The religious rulers and leaders of that day and age had gathered with him there with the wise men. And they knew, they had heard that this king is here. And they're all forced with a decision on what are we going to do with Jesus? A decision that we're all faced with. Respond to him in faith. That of like Mary and Joseph. That that we see in these wise men or the shepherds who came. Or you have conflict because you're forced to see life through your lens, your kingdom, you're the king in which you're seated on the throne. And what we have here is this war of worship and allegiance of who I'm coming under and who I belong to. The birth of Jesus puts your kingdom at risk. And there's something that we all have to know. We're often trying to build something in which we think that it's going to give us the good life. Through success, through relationships, through wealth, through family. We have all kinds of ideas and ways in which we look at and say, this will give me what I truly want and what I truly desire. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's going to paint a completely different way of viewing life and what it means to come underneath the good king. But it presents this conflict, this war over your heart, over my heart, an allegiance for your way or submitting to who God is, coming under him as king. And because we're human We're going to follow something, believe something. And this belief is that it will make me truly human. And what ends up happening is we can set these goals for ourselves and we can set this way of life that if I get it, I will finally be happy. Kids, that is the ultimate thing about Christmas in your mind. If I finally get the Millennial Falcon Lego set then my Lego collection is complete. It's not. There's other ships and droids to build. There's other things to get and have in your collection and then to expand worlds and then you'll experience Lord of the Rings world, which is fantastic. And there's always something else, even in our own upbringings, in which we say, if I get this, finally I will have arrived. And that thought process carries on even from childhood into adulthood. And what happens, what happens is you have these goals that are set and you either utterly fail in trying to get there and you're disappointed and you're grumpy and you're cranky and you're still yelling at the kids that cut across your lawn on 15th and Forest Avenue. It's me. Right? What are they doing out there? Or you get them and it doesn't satisfy. Think about it, friends. What have you gotten in this life and it wasn't enough. But I thought, I thought that would fulfill me. I thought that would complete me. I thought that would make me whole. Well, I gotta be driven to the next area of success, the next steps and stages in life. And what we see is there's this war going on over our hearts and how it will actually make us satisfied whole. 
And it's on both ends of the spectrum. People who have made it and people who haven't made it both feel the same in the sense of there has to be something more in this life that will bring me hope and peace or that Jewish Hebrew word shalom into my life. Thus enters Jesus. This lowborn king, as Luke describes him, one, as we often hear, who didn't come in a palace but came humbly in the stable. One who didn't come with this worldly power as you would expect from a king, but born to a lowly family. His reputation was nothing. He then comes out of Nazareth. No good thing comes out of Nazareth, was the words of Nathaniel. You gotta be kidding me. What could come out of Burns, right? Some of you in here are like, I came out of Burns, Brett. That was low. <laughs> that was low. And some of you are new to the area and you're like, what is Burns? Exactly. <laughs> For comfort, we're going to look to something to satisfy us. Have you arrived at that place where the lowborn king begins to move into your heart and your life? And what this story tells us is this king is going to do whatever it takes to get to you. Whatever it costs, whatever he has to bear, he's going to do it for each and every one of us. So as we look at this story, and we're going to wrap it up here in just a minute, because I know kids are in here. Who's your king? Who's your king? We're going to keep coming back to this over and over again as we look at this gospel according to Matthew. Who is your king? And what does it look like if you are his king? There's a couple of things that we'll see just this evening, very briefly. This king brings a new conflict in your own heart, a new inner war in your own life, but also an inner peace, a new conflict and a new peace. What we see here, first of all, is Jesus brings a new peace of conscience into our life. In Romans 8.28, it says, there's therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Humans constantly are living in a way in which they're trying to make up for all the wrong that they have done. They're constantly having to go back and apologize for the problems they've caused, pay people out for the issues they brought upon them. We live in a way in which we desire and crave righteousness or rightness with one another and rightness with God. That's how we live our lives. But it seems to never be enough for any of us. And Jesus comes, and what he brings into our lives as being King, Lord, Savior, is he brings a new inner peace that only comes from the one who died for you, who lived for you, whose life is now yours. We have a peace of conscience because of what Jesus has done in dealing with our guilt and our shame. Not only that, but we have a peace of identity. Living our lives trying to figure out who we are. We talk about this all the time here at Redeemers because it is one of the primary ways in which we're trying to identify uh, who we are, how we live, and what we're doing with what we've been given. My identity tells me everything about myself and everything I want you to know about me and how I'm going to live my life. And Jesus comes and he gives us new identity. And in this new identity, this new peace, this new way of living, he says, you don't have to despair. That's a huge word because we live in a world right now that is in an immense amount of despair. Is God good? Is God able to maneuver through all the stuff that's going on in the world and transitions that are happening? 
Can I trust him? Is he really seated on the throne? And what Jesus is showing us in this story, he came so you don't have to despair. And not only that, it brings a new strife and conflict into your life. Because the world doesn't like Jesus, the world won't like you. It's hard for me to swallow. I like to be liked. You know, you can go down the Michael Scott line of thinking, do I have to be liked? No, but yes, I do. I need to be liked. I crave to be liked. I want to be liked. And that is an issue that we all have in our lives. We want to be liked. Guess what? They didn't like Jesus. Look at the very beginning of his life. They don't like him. They want to be rid of him. They want nothing to do with him. And it wasn't just at his birth. It was constantly throughout his ministry until they finally thought they had a way to get rid of him. We'll hang him on a cross. We'll crucify him and we'll be done with him. But that is not how the story ends, is it? Not only will they not like you because they don't like Jesus, they won't like your exclusive claims to Jesus. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. Man, there's got to be other ways, right? There's got to be a way to earn your way or be good enough or a lot of spiritual paths that will lead us to the same deity, the same God. Jesus is very clear on why he came, and he is truth. We need to belong to him. Not only that, and finally this evening to close out, they won't like your ideas of being under this God and what it looks like to be in his kingdom because it's very contrary to the systems, the ways that this world presents to us. Jesus says the way up is down. Become a servant and the least of these if you want to be great in my kingdom. And he presents a radically different paradigm than what most people are used to thinking and what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of God. His way is very different. And it was a threat, a threat to everybody on the scene. Look, Jesus brings conflict. Christmas, you might have some family coming into town, breaking all the rules going on right now. You might have some Skype conversations or Zoom talks with close family and friends. And sometimes they can feel a little tense and a little awkward because of what you believe this season's about. It's not just getting the family together and giving gifts. It's coming together because Jesus is king. So we're going to continue to celebrate that this evening. As the worship team is going to come back up and lead us in song. And we're going to praise God. And we're going to give him our allegiance. You are Lord. You are God. You are king. And so we will sing to you. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you came humbly into this world and you were given to us. And as your people, we respond with receptiveness. And may you be seated on the throne in our lives. And may we be the people of God in this community of Redmond, loving and sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus with our neighbors. Be honored and glorified as we continue to worship you now. We give you this time. Amen.